Welcome to episode 121 of Kentucky History and Haunts. This episode is about a little boy that vanished without a trace from a rural Kentucky community in the 1980s. As far as these true crime stories go, there's nothing particularly grisly about this one, so I don't have any warnings to give, except that if you don't feel like listening to a child abduction case today, maybe save this one for another time. Also, for a change, I'll ask at the top of the episode that if you've been enjoying the show for a while, the best way to support it is to leave a review or rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you guys want some stickers and bookmarks and stuff, I'm about to send some out in the mail. So just DM me your mailing address and I will send you some ephemera. All right, here we go. Kelly Holland Jr. was born on November 17, 1975. His mom, Judy Moore, was 20 years old when she gave birth to him. Shortly after Kelly was born, Judy divorced his dad. Kelly had an older brother, Robert, and an older sister, Margaret, but they didn't live with Kelly and Judy. They lived with Judy's grandparents, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, but Kelly lived in an apartment that his mother Judy rented with her current boyfriend, and that apartment was on Lark's Lane in Pine Tree Hollow, Knott County, Kentucky. This was a very rural area. On February 13, 1982, there was no school for Kelly. He was enrolled at Jones Fork Elementary School, but it was a snow day. The ground was blanketed in fresh snow, and he just wanted to go out and play, as any six-year-old would. According to Judy, Kelly went outside around 11 a.m. the morning of the 13th, and she told him not to leave the yard. And I think he spent most of the day outside, uh, according to her, because when she last saw him, it was 4 p.m., and he was still outside in the snow. Judy didn't have a phone in her apartment, so at 4 o'clock, when she last saw Kelly, she was leaving her apartment to go use a neighbor's phone nearby. I don't know exactly how long she was gone, but when she returned, Kelly was no longer in the yard. And she just assumed that he had gone over to a neighbor's house to watch TV. Now, pay attention to this version of the story because, as you'll find out, it's going to change. So... Instead of going to find Kelly, Judy stayed at the apartment, and at 6 o'clock, she had dinner ready on the table, but her son still hadn't come home, and instead of, like, going out to look for him, she had dinner without him. I'm not sure if this was a normal thing for this family, but I feel like when you see this happen in the movies, if the kid's not home by dinner time, like, you start to panic. That was kind of the rule back in the old days, right? Like, do whatever you want, but be home in time for dinner. Anyway, she eats dinner, and then she decides it's time to, you know, start searching. So she goes over to her boyfriend's grandmother's house. They all live close together. She goes over to her boyfriend's grandmother's house to call the police. And this is a little strange. Um, at the time, she told investigators, quote, she wasn't permitted to call the police until midnight. Um, and I, I guess that means that she got over to her boyfriend's grandma's house 
And either the boyfriend or the grandma said, you know what, it's too early to call the police. Let's not get them involved yet. He's going to turn up. I guess that's what that meant. Um, I don't know. I don't have kids, but I think if it's me and my kid is missing and I feel like it's time to call the police, no one's stopping me. Like, I'm, I'm calling the police. Anyway, um, around midnight, the family went out to start searching for Kelly. Um, so just, you know, people in the community. But the official police search didn't start until dawn. And there was some speculation at the time, just right at the beginning, that maybe Kelly had accidentally wandered off into one of the abandoned mines nearby. And if that was the case, he possibly could have already frozen to death. Um, that's what some people were thinking. Now let's, let's note here that Judy's parents, which would be Kelly's grandparents, lived in Jackson, which, if my calculations are correct, is not very close to where Judy and Kelly lived. It looks like it would have been about an hour drive. So when I say the family is out searching, I think at this point it's just Judy, her boyfriend, and her boyfriend's grandma. Um, I'm not sure where Kelly's biological dad is at this point, and there are a lot of holes in this story about the the whole entire relationship with the biological dad. I don't, we don't find out much about Kelly's dad. So it's pretty clear that the police started to suspect Judy and maybe her boyfriend pretty early on. I'm not sure if they had reason to beyond what I've already told you, but they were looking so hard at Judy for this that they actually dug up her front porch to see if she'd buried Kelly's body under it. She had not. Um, she continued to maintain her innocence as the investigation went on, and she told investigators that she felt like her ex-husband, Kelly's dad, had either taken him or had someone else take him. Um, Kelly's dad isn't alive anymore. I know that. According to the Charlie Project, authorities never really cleared Judy as a suspect in this case, and at the very least, they suspect someone local was responsible. Quote, many of his neighbors in 1982 had criminal histories. So at this point, you know, we've got Kelly's mom, we've got his dad, and then we've got all these neighbors in this small community that the police are looking at going, it could be any of these people. It was like Kelly had vanished into thin air. Police found zero evidence. They had no scent, no trail to follow. They had nothing. And it's especially unusual because Kelly had physical traits that would make him somewhat unique and potentially easier to find. Kelly was born with a cleft palate, and he had a surgical scar on the left side of his face between his nose and upper lip from surgery. And he had a speech impediment. He had difficulty pronouncing certain words. He also had gaps between his teeth, and he had asthma. There are several things that if you put out a bolo on this kid and the public knew what they were looking for, you know, if he was out and about somewhere, there's a good chance somebody would have been able to identify him. So at the time of his disappearance, Kelly was six years old. He was about 60 pounds. He was under four feet tall. Um, he was white. He had brown hair and blue eyes. 
and he was last seen wearing a blue and white shirt, a blue hooded windbreaker jacket, blue jeans, and brown boots. So everything I've told you uh, so far is based off of information from the Charlie Project, and you all are probably familiar with the Charlie Project. It's an organization that profiles missing person cases nationwide. The problem is that is a huge task, and it's the information is constantly changing over time. And so, you know, r including all the updates and getting all the stories straight, sometimes it doesn't happen perfectly. Um, and I mean, absolutely no disrespect to the Charlie Project because what they do is incredible. Um, but I'm now going to tell you some different versions and give you some extra information about this case that I've pulled from local newspaper archives from the 80s when, when Kelly went missing. So the first one is from February 14th, 1982, so right after he went missing. And one thing right off the bat to mention is that it says this community where Kelly disappeared had only 50 residents. So when the police and Judy say that they believe it was someone in the community, that really narrows down the suspect list. Um, there were not that many people around. And the chances of like some random outsider coming in and just scooping up this kid, it doesn't make a lot of sense like logistically. Uh, the article, the same article from February 14th, said that Kelly was last seen in a neighbor's yard, not in Judy's yard. Um, so a little discrepancy there. And it also talks about how the state police got involved right from the beginning, uh, which, is, which is a good thing. Um, no disrespect to, you know, their small local police force, but they probably weren't super well equipped to handle something like this. Um, the next article is from a couple days later, February 16th. It talks about how rescue workers and search dogs had been out searching everywhere for this boy. They dredged hand-dug wells. They combed ditches and hillsides. Um, and this article does confirm that Kelly was reported missing at 1245 on the morning of the 13th. But this article mentions something that the Charlie Project did not, it says that Kelly and another six-year-old boy from the neighborhood walked about 150 yards up the hollow to a convenience store at about four o'clock that afternoon, and the other boy came home, and Kelly didn't. And this seems like such an important moment, um, one, because Judy doesn't mention it, but that's about when she said is the last time she saw Kelly. And there's nothing about what the other boy saw. I don't know if they started walking home together and then separated or if Kelly stayed at this convenience store and that's the last time anybody saw him because that would change things a little bit. So another thing that comes up in this one is that Judy mentioned that because of her son's surgeries and his severe asthma and all his health conditions, she was taking him up to the hospital in Lexington as many as two to three times per month. And that's a lot of work for a young mother, and I just want you to keep that, keep that in mind as we keep going. So by the following week, 
They have over 70 volunteers from the greater community trying to search every square inch of about a three-mile radius. Now, keep in mind, there have been multiple snowstorms. It is a cold, brutal Kentucky winter. The conditions are far from ideal. So this is hard. I mean, people are searching, but it's, it's difficult. And so another week or so after that, a group from the Lexington chapter of the Volunteers of America steps in and they continue the search for Kelly, but still, there's just absolutely not a trace of evidence. They find nothing. By early March 1982, a Knott County grand jury subpoenaed about 10 people from this little community, including Judy. By then, KSP and the other investigators had a pretty good feeling that this was an abduction, and, you know, they believed someone local had to have some information, but they got nowhere. And then the papers were pretty quiet about this case for months. So the next one that I could find was from December of 1982, 10 months after Kelly went missing. And in this article, the story is a little different. It's from the Lexington Leader, and the headline reads, Boy Kissed His Mom Goodbye, Vanished. So February 12th, 1982, Kelly and his mom Judy were staying with Judy's boyfriend in his apartment in Pine Tree Hollow. Quote, On that snowy day, Miss Moore said her son told her he was going next door to a neighbor's house to play with some children there. He hugged and kissed her and told her he would be home that evening after watching the Dukes of Hazard on TV. So in the last version, she said that he didn't say anything about going to a friend's house. She just assumed that's what he'd done. In this article, she says he did say he was going to a friend's house. Um, this could just be that someone at the Charlie Project got some different information from a different story. Or it could be a mom changing a story. I just don't know. Um, next, the Lexington Leader article says that Judy said the family started searching for Kelly at 9.30 that night. Uh, the neighbor he was supposed to be with lived about 50 yards from Judy's boyfriend's apartment. And they went over and talked to them. And these neighbors were like, yeah, Kelly was never at our house today. So it's all just a little confusing because he had to have been with some neighbor because he made that walk with his other friend up to that convenience store. Um, just his final moments before he vanishes are very up in the air as far as I can tell. Um, one thing I did learn from this December article, um, they talk about Judy a little more. So she quit school when she was 14 years old to get married to Kelly's dad, who was Bobby Holland. And they had four children together in such a short time frame. Oh my gosh. Um, they were married for five years. Um, the fourth child that they had together did not survive. They had a little girl that died at five weeks. Um, but it's also important to know that seven years before Kelly's disappearance, when I think Judy was still a teenager, she was ruled an unfit mother by the courts. They found she was not adequately taking care of her children. Neither she nor her husband, Bobby, had jobs. And so that's when and why 
the older two kids went to live with grandma and grandpa. And this was all before Kelly was even around. Judy got married again after Bobby, but before the most current boyfriend. Uh, but that marriage was very brief and they didn't have any children. So then she moved to Knott County with the current boyfriend in this story, whose name is Curtis Campbell, in 1981. Interestingly, uh, the Charlie Project article mentioned that the police got a couple tips that Kelly might be in Florida. In the Lexington Leader article from December of 1982, Judy mentions that she is thinking about just getting away from it all and going to Florida to stay with her brother. The article also says that Judy believed Kelly was taken by a family member and that she believed he was still alive. It says, quote, she thinks somebody didn't want her taking care of Kelly. So she doesn't come out and explicitly say it, but it definitely sounds like the implication is that she thought her ex-husband Bobby took him because he didn't think she was a fit mother. At least that's how that reads to me. Judy Moore said that she wrote to everybody, including the White House and a psychic, and none of them could help her find her son. Now, I was starting to wrap up this episode, and at the last minute, I checked to see if there was anything on YouTube, and it turns out uh, there was a WHAS 11 video or, you know, news segment that they did about four years ago uh, to recirculate Kelly Holland's story, and for that story, they were able to interview Judy, a much older Judy, and Here's what she says. I was told by the police that my sister said that I killed him and she helped me bury him. I don't know if that really happened, but that's what I was told. Did you talk to your sister about that? She said it didn't happen, but... You don't know? She, after a while, she quit talking to me. So that really doesn't mean much because police will say whatever they want to get people to confess to stuff. And in this case, they could have been lying about Judy's sister saying that she helped Judy bury the body. Or maybe the sister did say that. I, I don't know. I can't find any more information about like what their relationship was like. Um, clearly it doesn't seem like they had a great relationship and eventually the sisters stopped talking to her. What we do know is that it wasn't anything that led to any hard evidence. It's not like the sister led them to a body. Um, and since then, I'm pretty sure the sister has passed away. So I think they probably just said that to get Judy worked up. Um, we'll never know. If you look at the other videos and stories done on this case, it looks like people are very quick to point fingers at Judy. There are a couple things that stand out to me in particular. One is the statistics. It sounds like between 85 and 90% of child abductions committed in the U.S. are committed by a parent. So just from that alone, the math really isn't on her side. Uh, of course, her ex-husband has not been ruled out as far as I know, so it could have been him too. The other thing that stands out is that Kelly had health issues. Um, he had to go to the hospital a lot. 
And that could have been a lot of work and a lot of pressure and expensive for a 20-year-old single-ish mother. Combine that with the fact that she was declared unfit to care for her other two kids in the past. I think for a lot of people, that part of it makes it look like maybe she just wasn't up for parenting anymore. Maybe it just got to be too much for her. The thing I'm left wondering about right now is what anybody could have done with him. So it sounds like the last person to see him aside from Judy was that little boy that he walked to the store with about four o'clock, which is something Judy never mentions, right? So if we feel like we can trust the memory of this little boy, Kelly was last seen by someone outside that family at four o'clock. And then the police weren't contacted until 1245 early the next morning. So that would have given Judy or anyone else about nine hours to get away with this, which is a pretty long time, in my opinion. They were searching like a few mile radius. And even then they had obstacles because there was a snowstorm. But think about it. With a nine hour gap, somebody could have driven hours away dumped him in a big body of water or somewhere super remote and had time to get all the way back to Pine Tree Hollow. And if the boyfriend and his mom weren't in on it and it was just Judy, I mean, theoretically, she still would have had from 4 o'clock to like 9.30 when they went over to the boyfriend's grandma's house to use the phone. So if that's the case, that's still five and a half hours. You could still get pretty far and make it back. So I think those issues are probably why people are suspect of Judy. But at the same time, it's all just speculation. There is no physical evidence, as far as I can tell, pointing to Judy Moore having anything to do with her son's disappearance. So I'll leave you with this. Kelly, I love you so much. Just let me know. She thinks Kelly could be watching. Say hi, Mom. That's all I'd ask. I wouldn't want nothing else from him. If you have information about the disappearance of Kelly Holland Jr., please contact the Kentucky State Police at 606-435-6069. Thanks for listening. Until next time.